Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Greg Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and that gentleman over there is, over there, is Greg Gabriel. Greg, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm tired. I'll tell you. I, I got to bed about midnight because I watched a lot of the post-game stuff, and then I was up at 5 so I could be at the gym at 6. And oh, my goodness. Now, now it's like, I'm tired. You're ready for a nap? Yeah. <laughs> well, we can't as, as, as we get done with this. All right. I'm with you on that one. That's okay, not... we're done. Let's go. <laughs> That's great. You told me a great story about your granddaughter. You want to share that with the audience? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, my, my daughter's a big football fan and her husband, but I guess they, they were playing in some pools, you know, the squares. Yeah, very popular. And so they put a $5 square and they put my – granddaughter Kaylee's name on one of the squares. It was three and zero or zero and three or something. But anyway, she won 125 bucks on a $5 square. So I said, well, what are you going to do with the 125? And my daughter says, oh, Kaylee bought dinner. (laughs) That's that's not fair. That's her money. (laughs) <laughs> I said, I'm going to wait till she's old enough to understand. Probably her 10th birthday. I'm going to tell her you stole her $125. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, you If got I'm it. alive by her 10th birthday, because she's only two. Oh, you'll be alive and kicking. The way you're lifting weights and staying in shape, what are you down to? About 168 pounds is my no, guess. Right now? I, actually, I gained a little. I'm up to 174. I need to get a little heavier. I'm too, too thin. Yeah, man, you can't play uh, deep safety at that weight. <laughs> no, I was a running back. That's right, you were a running back. Yeah, I was a skinny-ass white running back. <laughs> and but so, I could run. Yeah, were you fast? Yep. Oh, wow, that's great. You don't have to spend I was fast. I was fast for when I played. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. We'll have to spend the show talking about your football exploits as a player uh, uh, one day this uh, spring or summer. Um, let's talk about the game yesterday. There was a little thing held called the Super Bowl <laughs> that about 100 million plus people around the world uh, watched. What were your impressions of uh, the Rams beating the Bengals? I love the Sopranos commercial. Oh, wasn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) I loved it too. (laughs) Actually, I thought the two best commercials were that back-to-back. The first one in the bowling alley with Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah, that was good. And and Peyton Manning. I thought, oh, that one's really good. And then they come right to the the next one, the Chevy Silverado commercial. And it's got uh, Meadow Soprano and and AJ Soprano, and I, yeah. I thought that was terrific. Yeah, and, was- and, and it was following the same route. You know what was funny is uh, you know Tony Soprano always had the big cigar, and she had a lollipop. <laughs> that was great, and the embrace that she had with her TV brother was really sweet. She had almost a tear in her eye because he's been in a lot of trouble since right. he left that show. So uh, so that was nice to see that uh, they're both fine. Um, 
and I, I missed that show. I mean, that was a sensational uh, HBO series on uh, a mobster who had panic attacks. <laughs> and, the, and that was really a well done show. Um, so besides that commercial, what'd you think about the game? And what'd you, what'd you think about Matt Stafford, a guy that you've never been really high on? You know, somebody tweeted me after he goes, do you still think he can't win the, can't win the big one? I, you know what? They won in spite of him. He threw two picks. Mm-hmm. Now he had some big plays, no question. And he had, a, he had to come up big in that last series. And, and they had I mean, key guys down. Uh, OBJ gets hurt in the middle of the second quarter. So now you just got really Cooper cup as, as a wide receiver. They, for some Jefferson's head just wasn't in the game as his wife goes into labor midway through the game and, and, you know, you know where his head was at, and he was at the hospital like ten seconds after the game was over. Yeah. Um, so it, it was all relying on on Stafford to Cooper Cup, and they did a they did a great job. Now some people are pissing and moaning about the penalties. I thought they were legit penalties. In right. fact, the the penalty that wasn't called was on the Bengals' first play of the second half. That was that was an obvious face mask. Mm-hmm. But now I, I think um, Ramsey took a little bit of a dive on that. You know, the guy just grabbed his face mask a little bit, and he wasn't yeah. going to get thrown five yards like he did. I mean, he, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, so – but the official, if you look, the official was about eight, ten yards behind mm-hmm. on the play. He didn't see it. Yeah, it happened in a fraction of a second, so right. it's very, very tough to call. Um, and, and I was surprised so many people on social media yesterday were saying, well, it, the result would have been different if it wasn't for those penalties. And I'm like, no. I mean, you know, you have at a, at a key moment of the game, you had Boyd missing a pass on third down uh, and nine from Burrow. He hit him right in the hands. Right, he might not have got the first, but damn, it would have been within a half a yard. Exactly. And and they were up by four points at the time. If they would have been able to move the chains and maybe get into field goal position, it would have been a totally different scenario. So you can't pinpoint one alleged uh, missed call on that. That's just ridiculous. Can. It, it's, uh, that's why they play a 60-minute game. Mm-hmm. There's several different calls. Uh, you know, going back to Super Bowl 25 when uh, we played the Buffalo Bills and, and they missed that field goal wide right. Well, everybody, you know, blames the, the kicker for, for Buffalo for missing a field goal. But the series before, when we had the ball, we kicked the field goal to go ahead. Mm-hmm. O.J. Anderson had basically a walk-in play for a touchdown, which would have put the game out of reach. They would have had to get a, a touchdown. And the the center on our team, Bart Oates, missed his block. And the only guy who could make the tackle made the tackle. And, you know, so th- that was a big play too. Mm-hmm. You know, right at the goal line, we ended up having to, to kick a field goal. With the analytics the way they are now, probably would have gone for it on on fourth down in, in today's game but now and speaking of that i thought one of the, the the dumbest calls cincinnati made was on their first possession on on a fourth and one and a half almost fourth and two mm-hmm. they go for it that early in the game no kick the damn ball and put them and put the rams in a hole 
I am so with you on that. This whole analytics thing, I think, has gone overboard. I don't think analytics takes into account what happens if you don't get the first down. <laughs> right. You gave him a short field. Exactly. It was terrible. I, at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Winston Robbins has a question for you. He says, Greg, have you ever talked to Bill Belichick since you worked with the G-Man himself? Uh, I talked to him. The last time I talked to Bill Belichick was at the Marriott Lounge in um, Indy at the 2013 Combine. Okay. You know, at breakfast, you go up to the concierge lounge for breakfast, and uh, Bill and his son were there, and we talked for – 10, 12 minutes. Is he a nice guy? Because he just doesn't come off that way. You know, yeah. Get him, get him away from it. Real nice guy. Yeah. I mean, he's he's narrow focus, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he's a real nice guy. And his dad was a, a sweetheart. Oh, cool. Yeah. Belichick, and he was always a threat when I was with the Giants and um, Bill was a defensive coordinator. His dad was there all the time in training camp and just a great guy. Mm. Yeah, he, he, uh, there was an NFL Films tribute to him, and we saw him on his fishing boat and so forth. And it was great to see him in that atmosphere because he was smiling and joking and, and talking like a regular guy and not mumbling responses to the media and stuff. Uh, and so it was like, wow, okay, he's a real person. He's not just some alien from another football planet <laughs> that is just always mumbling and talking football with uh, the media and his players. But So, so that's good. All right. What what else about yesterday's game uh, can Chicago Bears walk away with and say, "All right, I this is giving me hope that we can build a winner fairly soon here." You know, Cincinnati won only four games last year, and the year before that, they had the the worst record in football and the first pick in the draft. So that that, uh, that gives you hope right there. Yeah, and in two years they had the number one pick. They got Joe Burrow, and in two years they're in a Super Bowl. So, uh, and and they did it with a fairly new coach. I mean, this was Taylor's third year, but still a a, a new young coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's got to give you hat uh, joy or or oh. looking forward to the future, hope. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I I watch that game and I watch all the playoffs. And it just pisses me off every time I watch the Rams because the guy who makes plays all the time for the Rams on the defense is Leonard Floyd. Mm. That whole thing, it just rubs me the wrong way that they got rid of him. And I like Robert Quinn. Mm. I, you know, not taking anything against That was a good signing. But you got – what's Quinn, 32 years old now, 31 years old? He's 31 right now, might be 32 at the okay. start. Okay, and, and Leonard Floyd's a lot younger than that, mm-hmm. and and he's hitting his, the, the peak of his game. You know, for whatever reason, they gave up on him too early, and he, he was always really good in coverage. The pass rush wasn't what it was supposed to be, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was coaching. Because he goes there, and he's a pass rushing terror. Mm-hmm. And you know, Teddy Monago was a good friend of mine, and he's on the Rams staff. And by the way, I, I, I gotta say congratulations. Two guys are on my staff here in Chicago: Teddy Monago and Marty Barrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been, both been the Rams for a while now, and 
their second Super Bowl with the Rams, their third Super Bowl overall, and lost the first two with us in 2007. And then a couple years ago with the Rams, they finally got a win. So shout out to those guys. They deserve it. The great guys, very hard workers. Uh, you know, we had texts going back and forth all weekend, and Jerry Angelo was part of the text too. And, and uh, you know, so that I, I'm really, really happy for those two guys and their families. Yeah. We were talking before the start of the show that uh, you, you said, you know, that being on the losing side of a Super Bowl is just so devastating that it's great. You get uh, great feelings when you win, but the feelings on the opposite end of the field. Uh, it's empty, yeah. totally empty. Uh, you know, it, it, well, you've, you've got so much anticipation and so much lead up. And then, you know, it just the wind comes out of the sails, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just a, a horrible feeling. Takes a few days to get over it, but then, you know, life gets back to normal. Mm -hmm. uh, I, have, I have a good friend who was coaching on the defensive side for Cincinnati, Louis Chifa, and it was his first Super Bowl. So I know how Louis's feeling today. Mm -hmm. And that plane ride home, you know, they'll, they'll fly home today um, from LA, and that plane ride home is going to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh it has to be one of the worst feelings in um uh, in existence, you know. <laughs> Anytime in any profession that you have a passion for, and when you don't have success at it, it's gonna hurt. And when you're doing something in front of millions of people, and, and the heart of an athlete is is so different. I mean, I have seen some of the most uh men of men cry after a loss and recalling their careers and recalling the disappointments and so forth. And I'm always struck at when these men, the tears just flow instantly and easily um, because it just means so much. And, and for us fans too, I mean, I've cried when the, I cried when that damn double doink <laughs> with the uh, Parky, I, I, you know, I welled up with tears and stuff. And so, but for a player and a coach and, and people working for the organization, that has to be a real big kick to the balls, man. Oh yeah, no, it's tough. But then, you know, look at the other side and, uh, you know, I, I turned to the NFL network after the NBC coverage was off and, and uh, they had a real long interview with Aaron Donald. He had his kids and his wife with him. I don't know if you saw it, but mm -hmm. the elation that, that Aaron Donald had, um, you know, it, 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 it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a champion now, mm -hmm. you know, and he said, you can't take that away from me. And, and, and that goes back, you know, Super Bowl 21, my first Super Bowl, when we beat uh, Denver out in Pasadena. Um, Bill Parcell said that in the locker room. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you're world champions now, and nobody can ever take that away from you. Yep. I'll you know, and that that is just, you know, the the, the coolest thing. Another a good thing, one of the best things about having a West Coast Super Bowl, if you win. Mm-hmm. The party doesn't start at midnight. <laughs> That's right. They started around 6 p.m. or something like that. Well, no, I mean, you know, the, the game's at 3.30 on the West Coast time. Right. So, right. I mean, you're, you're back at the hotel, players and everybody, say by 10, 10.30, mm -hmm. and the, the party starts right away. And, and there is both teams, even if you lose, there's a party set up. 
but the losing party sucks. Nobody goes. Because um, I've been I've been to two of those. You know, you go for five minutes, you have a drink, and you get the hell out. Um, but the winning parties are unbelievable. And, and that first one, you know, my first Super Bowl was out in California, in L.A., Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. And, um, you know, I would say it started around 10, 1030 California time went till at least two mm-hmm. and uh you know there were celebrities there um just just a blast and yeah, you know a lot of fun and i got i still got some pictures from that party i'll have, you know, I'll have to share those someday yeah so um yesterday i i posted on twitter you know i was happy for aaron donald i was so disappointed when he did not fall to the bears i think the bears had the 14th pick and the rams picked him at number 13 talk about a gut punch as a as a fan who was in love with aaron donald and and really thought he could be a spectacular player for the bears and just in in general you said then you replied on, on twitter hey remind me i got a story about that so i'm reminding you now what is this aaron donald story? well I, I was doing the the draft coverage for the score okay so it was uh hub myself dan pompey there might have been somebody else in there and so we're doing the first round and nobody's taking aaron donald and it gets to pick 10 pick 11 you know, pick 12, and I go, they're going to get Aaron Donald. So I call his his uh, friend, mm-hmm. his friend, his agent is a good friend of mine, Brian okay. Awell. In fact, Brian is a Buffalo guy, originally a Buffalo guy, okay. and played football at the University of Buffalo. So I pick up my, my cell phone, I call Brian, I go, he's going to the Bears, isn't he? He goes, he just went to the Rams. Oh, oh no. What a kick in the butt there. <laughs> yeah, that was devastating, but I was happy to see him get his championship. You think he's going to retire? No. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, a- anything a player says after a big game, throw out. Mm-hmm. Because, you you you, you know, you got to let things settle down for a few weeks and then, you know, come back to reality. Because, you know, guys like – he's not – what is he? Thirty years old, if that. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll double check. And you know, when when you played foot, and I I started playing football when I was eight years old, and I stopped playing when I was thirty-one. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it becomes part of your life, and that locker room camaraderie that you have, and and the practice and all that, that it just becomes ingrained in your, in your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some, some of the guys I play football with are still some of the closest friends I have in, in, in my life. And, and, you know, you just, you can't walk away because it, part of it is just that closeness that you have. It's hard to describe but and and plus you got that competitive nature of of going out and compete mm-hmm. you know and you're still young you know you feel good your body's good your body isn't beating up and and you feel good you go, well hell i can play you know today i'm going to retire cuz i got the hell kicked out of me yesterday but uh you know <laughs> 3 weeks from now we feel a little better bumps and bruises have healed up 
A lot of guys end up, you know, over the next couple of weeks, they'll have some surgeries. Some of them will be clean up stuff. But then, you know, you get into spring and it's like you get that itch again. So I, I, I throw in the same thing with McVay. He isn't going anywhere. He's 36 years old. Yeah. Tony's got a question. You think that uh, uh, Aaron Donald is better than Lawrence Taylor? No. Ooh, that was Lawrence awesome. Taylor totally dominated the game in his era. He Lawrence Taylor wrote the edge position. Yeah, he he he, he was the first one. Yeah. Okay, and he was a stand-up outside linebacker in a three-four, but. You know, when he went to sub, he was down, never put his foot, never put his hand on the ground, though, mm-hmm. as a pass rusher, always played from a two-point. But Lawrence Taylor was rare. Now, Aaron Donald is in that, you know, he can be in the conversation, mm-hmm. but he didn't dominate like Lawrence Taylor dominated. Mm-hmm. And I, you, you can't even describe Taylor. I can go back. And I wasn't with the Giants then, but everybody told me the story as soon as they went there. Um, his rookie year, but when I went there, was he was in his third year. Mm-hmm. So, and he was already, you know, he already had been christened by that time, uh, or anointed. And but his rookie year, they're doing a pass block, pass rush drill with the linebackers and. Um, the running backs. So mm-hmm. Rob Carpenter who was a pretty good running back back then for the giants. He has to go up against Taylor. So ball gets snapped and he sets to hit him and Taylor just jumps right over him hmm. and like right over him. Wow. And you know, Carpenter was totally embarrassed and he gets up and he said, rookie, don't ever do that to me again. And Taylor said, Fuck you, block me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Mule Skinner says, uh, I, I something something that I disagree with, I think you will too. He says that he would have drafted Dan Hampton or Richard Dent before Lawrence Taylor. No way. Those two guys are Hall of Famers, but Lawrence Taylor uh was just a couple well, of I mean, Dan Hampton and Richard Dent might have been cleaner livers than, than Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor was a big personality. And if he hadn't been with the Giants and had been, say, with, you know, a different club and didn't have that big New York atmosphere, mm-hmm. he might have been a little different as far as his uh, uh, partying goes. Mm-hmm. But that guy was the ultimate competitor. Yeah, for sure. And he lived for Sundays. You know, we had a strike in 1988, 19, whatever it was. And, you know, when they, when Sean Payton was the scab quarterback for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, Taylor crossed the picket line. So you like playing this game. You're not going to tell me I can't play. Mm -hmm. And he was playing both ways in two games. Mm. He was playing tight end and, and, Outside linebacker. Mm. That's that's amazing. Um, but he just he just loved to play. He needed to play. Yeah, he some, needed the competition. Some guys are like that, you know. 
Um, and him and you know, him and MJ, I, I don't know if they're still close, but you know, they they LT was a little bit ahead of MJ at, at North Carolina. Right. Very, very close. And there were stories back, you know, when I started with the with the Giants that they'd be they'd go out and play golf and they were playing for like a thousand a hole, fifteen hundred a hole. Mm-hmm. And and just get into some real intense <laughs> golf matches. I bet you if MJ lost, he 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 paid that bet. <laughs> the other bet. Well, they they both had money now. Yeah, uh, Winston has an interesting question here. He says, "Greg, do you think every good team needs a big personality?" And I'll add to that as somebody who uh, is evaluating players. Uh, do you also think about how that that per- player's personality can fit in your team? Um, you know, it, 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 it's a good question because I think, you know, when you step back and you think about it, most good teams have a big personality. Right. But is it a prerequisite? Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes the winning creates that single person or a few people we had, you know, our, our teams were pretty good in the two thousands and, you know, we had a few guys, but one was Olin, mm-hmm. you know, very outspoken and, and huge personality. Um, with, with the giants, we had, we, we had a bunch, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was Lawrence Taylor, there was Harry Carson, there was uh, on defense. There was uh, Leonard Marshall. On offense, you had Phil Sims, and then you know Mark Bavaro didn't say a word, but you didn't mess with him. <laughs> you know he's kind of a, 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 a quiet type, and Bart Oates was a, a, a great, great leader on, on the offensive line. So, yeah, I mean we we had those guys on that team, I, I only can speak for the teams I've been part of, mm-hmm. but you know, you look at the, at those real good Buffalo bills teams that went to four super bowls, you know, not only did they have Jim Kelly, but they had uh, Bruce Smith, Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley, Andre Reed, mm-hmm. Thurman Thomas, you know, they had a bunch of big personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Mule makes a but good winning, winning creates that. Yeah, exactly. That that's a big part of it too. It's like almost like the chicken and the egg thing. You know what what comes right. first? Mule has a good point here. He says there are big mouths and guys who are big on the field who say nothing. Guess who the players respect? And so immediately when Mule wrote that, the name that came to my mind is a guy like Eddie Jackson. Outside of that 2018 season, Eddie Jackson has not played to our expectations of him as a football player. And yet, you know, the guy talks a lot. There's that famous bit of audio of uh, film where in practice he's telling his teammates, anybody can tackle, nobody can can create turnovers consistently. Well, he hasn't done any of those two things consistently, tackle or uh, create turnovers. Now we got we, we to give him credit here. I know he gets banged a lot, but he, he – his tackling the last half of the season this year was a lot better. Yeah, once he knew that he was playing for his <laughs> so, job, perhaps. <laughs> um, which brings up a whole new point. It's just, what's this team going to look like in six months? You know, once we get through free agency, yep. and and because you've got a, a 
you know, a whole new group of people as, as far as the front office. Mm-hmm. You know, the front, it's interesting. They, you know, they let go two key people in the front office last week. They are? They're Josh Lucas and Joey Lane are out the door. What did you What did you feel about that? Do you think that's a good move, a bad move, or to, to be determined? Um, no, I'm I'm thumbs up. <laughs> you want to share why? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I don't know either person, <clears throat> so it's not fair to say a whole lot. I know what other people have said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know in the agent community, they weren't fond of Joey Lane, said he was really hard to deal with. So Ryan Poles is going to bring in his old guy, unless Cliff Stein goes back to that. But I know, you know, Cliff is the corporate counsel for the Bears. He's got his hand in a lot of things. And as much as he loved doing contracts, and he really did love it. Um, does he have the time and the wherewithal to be able to go back to that, especially when, when you're talking about all the work he's going to be doing leading up to uh, that stadium down the street from you? Mm. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Another eight years. <laughs> I, uh, who, who knows? I mean, once they make the purchase, then you got to, you know, make plans and then you got to rip down everything in there and you got infrastructure. It's got to be, I tweeted out yesterday, 2030, 2031 Super Bowl will be in Chicago. And I can't see it happen any sooner than that. Meaning the stadium will be open one or two years before they, you know, they'd award it before then, but you know, the stadium would be open for a couple of years so you can get, all the kinks out of everything and right. And then have uh, a Super Bowl there, but they would have no problem having, even though it's in the middle of winter, having a Super Bowl here because you've got, you know, one team would be using the Bears facility and the other team would be going over to Northwestern mm-hmm. for practice. That's <laughs> like when we, when we were in the Super Bowl in 2007. Um, the Colts were at the Dolphins facility and we were at the University of Miami. And that's generally how it how it works. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, uh, Don Burr has a good question here. A lot of good questions, by the way, and I'm saving a bunch of them up for a little later. Uh, but I'll interrupt our flow here and ask you, uh, Don asks, is the NFC North, is that the worst division in the NFC right now? And Aaron Rodgers, it appears there are reports that the Packers are making every effort to retain Aaron Rodgers. They're going to renegotiate his contract. They're going to try to make it happen. And I would assume that a big reason Rodgers would want to come back is because they're going to retain Devontae Adams and figure out a way to maintain that offensive line because he doesn't want to play behind an offensive line like Joe Burrow just played behind. So overall, what's this division shaping up to look like in 2022? Um, Two months ago, I would have said Rodgers is gone. Mm-hmm. Me too. Okay. I now I'm 50 50. You know, it wouldn't shock me if he left and said, you know what, I just want to go somewhere else for a couple of years, like like a Brady did. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if he stayed. Either way, Green Bay screwed. I mean, because they're, they're going into this year, they're mm-hmm. like already 40 or 50 million over. Mm hmm. 
And, and so they've got to do some things cap-wise to be able to retain players and and, and sign players. That's why I, I, you know, I look at, at guys like um, uh, Lazard, who's going to be a restricted free agent. And obviously it's, it's what coach Getsy feels about him. And, and the same with um, Scantling, Beldez Scantling, mm-hmm. uh, who is a free agent. It's what does Getsy think of them? Does he think they could be a, a viable part of, of an offense here? And if he thinks that, then you got to assume the bears are going to go there because they're stepping into a situation they're already going to know. So they're not going to be, you know, out of place trying to learn an, a strange offense. They're already going to know the offense. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, realistically, you got to look at, well, can they afford to keep, especially if they bring back Rodgers and Adams, can they afford to bring back Lazard? Yeah. And you look at the tender numbers from last year and they will go up this year. Who knows what they are? But it's going to be, if he gets tendered a second round, mm-hmm. it's going to be over, it's going to be close to $3 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you're already over the cap by 40, 50 million, where are you going to get all this? Yeah. Every million counts. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, and they got to take care of Adams and they got to take care of, and, and, and even if they don't keep Rogers, they're going to get burned. They'll, they'll, Adams is out of contract. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, but, but with Rogers, they're, they're still going to get a cap hit. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's going to be a tough situation for him. And Lazard, hell, he didn't even make a million dollars last year. That's right. You know, he made $970,000. Scantling made some money. He made about 2.3, 2.4. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, those are, are, are two guys I think you got to look at. Um, I, I do not see the Bears going after a big ticket wide receiver in free agency. I just don't think they have the money. They got too many holes to fill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ryan Poles, and I'm a believer in this, you don't go after that that big fish. Mm-hmm. Get some mid-sized fish that are going to, you know, help you, help you win. Mm-hmm. And he came right out and said that. I don't like the first wave. I like that second and third wave. Interesting. Because you, you pay too much money in the first wave. You're overpaying in the first wave. Right. Well, and he did, I think it was you that first brought it up to my attention. Uh, he did admit that because he was in favor of, of the Bengals going after Panay Soul as their first-round draft pick. The Bengals, of course, did not. They chose Jamar Chase, and Poles said later, I was wrong. They should ha- they did the right thing because Chase and Burrow have such a great relationship, and, and it, it's paid instant dividends. Do you think that that was the right choice, the wrong choice? Because uh, I'm sort of like you. I, I, I don't want a first-round wide receiver, at least a top-ten pick, wide receiver. I'm not interested in paying that kind of money for a wide receiver. And I would rather build from the, from the line of scrimmage out. Well, Green Bay, Bay. Cincinnati has got to take care of the offensive line in this year's draft and in free agency. Yes. I I don't know what their cap situation is, but you know, that's going to be 
priority number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some pretty good receivers. So they've got some weapons. Now they got to protect the quarterback. And if he's got a, you know, he got hurt again yesterday. What, what if you tore the other ACL? There'd be two ACLs in two years. Oh my gosh, it would be awful. You know, so, <clears throat> and being this late, you know, it's already February. If and that's worst case scenario because you know he came back and played and he couldn't have come back and played if he had an ACL I don't think but they you know it it's he's he's got something torn mm-hmm. and so or or a really bad sprain and but if it was an ACL he's he'd miss the first part of the season there's no way he's going to be ready exactly. Well, and that's perhaps we, we talked earlier about what can the Bears learn from, you know, what happened. And and perhaps one of the things is offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, because there's just no way you're going to win a Super Bowl. Although they came really close with that type of offensive line that they had. It's just so difficult to do that. And uh, so uh, CJ Williams says the Bengals will sign one or two top free agent linemen. Uh, and they've got some cap room, according to Tony, the pod boss, to do so. But we'll we'll keep an eye. It, it, Greg and I were talking before the show that it's so difficult to come back. Super Bowl losers, you know, rarely come back and win. Uh, you know, I think in the history of pro football, it's happened maybe once or twice. Well, so, just the Bills came back and kept going to the Super Bowl, but they couldn't win. That's right. Uh, the and that was a while ago. I mean, you know, it's 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 changed since then. But you know, it's Cincinnati's got to get at least. So they had some injuries too on the line, so mm-hmm. they're going to get those guys back. But they probably got to sign at least two, <clears throat> right? But yeah. you look at the Bears situation; they drafted two guys last year mm-hmm. that should be pretty good players, and and <clears throat> you know, with with uh, Jenkins. You know, we didn't get to see enough. Guarantee he had at most six padded practices and probably more like four. Mm-hmm. Because once the season starts, you're only allowed to have like 12 or 13 padded practices the rest of the season. So, you know, when's he supposed to work on a skill? Yeah. Okay. So right. he missed all camp. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that learning process went out the window. So he was learning on the fly. Yep. Okay. So but it, it's just got to be determined. Is he going to be on the right side or the left side? I purposely think, or not purposely, I, I sincerely believe that he can play the left side. Mm-hmm. And, and I go back to, and I'm, you know, repeating myself from other shows, but he was designated to be the left tackle <clears throat> his last two years at Oklahoma state. Mm-hmm. He starts off his second last year as a left tackle, plays there eight games. The right tackle gets hurt. Mm-hmm. The backup, you know, ordinarily you'd put the, the swing guy at that spot. He couldn't play the right side as good as he could play the left side. Mm-hmm. So Jenkins said, I'll go to the right because I can, you know, I can do both if you're more comfortable on the left. So he ends up having eight starts as a left tackle. What well, now you go, you know, you look at um, the kid from Northwestern last year. Uh, Rashawn Slater. Right. And, and everybody said he was the, you know, the best or second best left tackle in the draft. 
He had three more games college experience at left tackle. <laughs> three games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and now and athletically, you can't tell me athletically he can't play the position. The numbers say he can't. He's got the lateral movement. He's got the quickness. He's got the foot speed. He's got the bend. So now it's a matter of just learning the position mm-hmm. and, and taking to coaching. Now, you got a new offensive line coach who, who, when he was with the Atlanta Falcons in this type of offense and the zone blocking scheme, did a hell of a job down there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he works with this guy. But it's really going to be that guy's determination where these guys are going to line up. Mm-hmm. And from from his thought process, we'll see, you know, that that will have a lot to do with what they do in free agency and or the draft as far as the offensive line. I mean, personally, I, I would put Daniels back at center, but he's a, for, you got to resign him first. Resign him first. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, what what what's the market value? On on Daniels now, Big said he talked to a bunch of people and he said ten million a year. Wow, you know, not nine ten million a year, and they they think that's possible. The guy's a good player, and he's twenty four years old. Mm. And so, and he was draft. You know, he was draft. He was first center taken. Now mm-hmm. Th- that draft, he was drafted to play center, but. You know, Cody was there and he was doing a good job and they had, you know, they ended up putting him at guard. But if if you put him at center, you've got one and Tevin plays left tackle and Borum plays right tackle. You've got one position you got to take care of, and that's the right guard position. Mm-hmm. And that's not that hard to get a right guard. Okay. Um, I just looked at, uh, took a glance at the center cap hit rankings, and for some reason they got Cody Whitehair listed as a center. His well, cap hit, up. right? His cap hit is twelve point three million dollars, and so you got to believe that James Daniels is is looking for a similar contract that Cody Whitehair signed for. Well, Cody now what going into the third year of his deal? Yes. So it's gone up a little bit. You know, from when he originally signed it, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, if Bigsy's right, and and Bigsy got this talking to people, talking to the agent community and stuff down in, in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and he thinks that's that's what the figure is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now it, it's you know the determination of the offensive coaches. And the brain trust, the new brain trust of the Bears, is he going to be a nine, ten million dollar player? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be worth that? That is the big question, right? And and we're going to know the answer to all these things in a month. Very five good. Well, I got a couple of similar questions here. Let me uh, pose both of them to you, and then we can have a discussion about that. First, it was Ray Rojas says, Greg, what position do you think is the biggest need for the Bears? Should they attack at that in free agency, or should they wait to the draft to fill it? And then Toa asked, what position does Greg think we should go first with our first selection? Offensive line, wide receiver, safety, cornerback. So I ask you, as an amalgamation of those two questions, 
What what is going on right now with Ryan Pose? How are they going about the assessment of what are our needs? Uh, what are our current strengths in the roster? How how do they go about making those decisions that those two questions posed? I can fill up the rest of the show answering one question. That one question. Which one? The, this one. Uh, ro- uh, the, the combination of gotcha, the two. gotcha, and and because it's it's the order of which you do things. Okay, as a group, they've been working together for one week. Last Monday was the first day, and a couple of coaches hadn't even been hired yet. They got hired later in the week. So this is probably the first week they're really all working together. But the first order of business is evaluate their own players. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the scouts are working on the college part. but And, and the coaching staff... And it's two-part. You know, Coach Getzey's working on installing an offense because he's got to get the, you know, the coaches on board with exactly what he wants to do. But they've got to evaluate each position. And so then, you know, each coach will make a determination as this guy's a keeper, I don't want this guy, yada, yada. Okay, I think I can work with this guy. He can improve based on what I saw with tape. Okay, so they're going to make their decisions there, and that's going to work on on both sides of the ball. And you look at at the contractual situation, how much money you got, how many guys you got under contract, how much money is, is there guys that you don't see as being, was giving back what they're making. You've heard me say this before, and I'm a big believer in this. If you're, and I just use the figure five million because it's easy to work with. But if you're making five million dollars, you've got to give back five million dollars in production. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you're useless to the team. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes this: it, it's not only is the guy a viable player, but is he playing to his contract? Mm-hmm. And if he's not playing to his contract, then it's maybe it's time to move on. But you got to also look at the contract and say, can we move on? Mm-hmm. You know, because of the hit, if if there's going to be a big hit involved. All right. So that's everything that's going on now as far as, you know, the people in Hallis Hall. Um, there'll be meetings, most places you got draft meetings going on now. You know, you've, you've eliminated in December. You're going to eliminate again now. But because you've got a new front office, you might have to revisit some of those you eliminated mm-hmm. in December only because you got a new scheme. you got a totally different scheme. Now, the scheme's not going to be that much different in that you can say, well, it's a 3-4 and he's going to a 4-3. But they're, they were playing a 3-4 with a lot of one gap principles mm-hmm. and you were in sub 80% of the time anyway. So you had two defensive linemen, two edge players. Um, it wasn't that you were playing that base three, four more than a, you know, a few downs a game. So, but on that too, it's okay. Who can play in this scheme? Because you've got a profile for each position mm-hmm. and you know, you, you want, your nose tackle in this Tampa defense, I'll call it the Tony Dungy defense. 
Yeah. Because he's the originator of it. Isn't that real big bulky guy, you know, a guy like Eddie Goldman, I'm, you know, he may or may not be a fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's quick enough and explosive enough that he can play. Cause you're, you're very seldom playing head up in this scheme. You're very seldom playing head up on the center. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're, you know, it's, it's what we call a one technique when he's in the gap between the guard and the center, or he's on a, you know, a, a cock situation, but still not head up on the guard. You're very little, the defensive linemen do very little two gapping. It's mostly one gap. They're shooting the gaps and trying to get, um, you know, get penetration and, and create havoc for the, for the offense. So you got to have the right type of people. I do believe Bilal Nichols can be a, um, a pretty good three technique. Mm-hmm. Again, some of these guys, they may want them to lose a little weight. So they pick up a, a step in quickness mm-hmm. from what they were playing in, in the old scheme. But athletically, when you look at, at like the numbers they had when they were coming out and, you know, do they have the, the raw athleticism to be able to do what the defense wants? Mm-hmm. Then you're going to look, you know, <clears throat> on, on paper, it's a 4-3. But how often are you playing with three linebackers in today's game? Right. You're really, it's a 4-2-5. <clears throat> So your your third linebacker is your Sam linebacker. You got your Mike and your Will. Right now, the way I look at this is is your Will is Roquan Smith because the Will is the most important. The Will and the three technique are the most important two players on this scheme. In this scheme, Roquan will be the Will. As I look at the roster now, Ogletree's the Mike. And he's got to be – both of those guys got to be able to play in coverage, and both of them can play in coverage. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Who's going to be the Sam when he's in there? And that Because Quinn and Khalil Mack are now defensive ends. Right. And that doesn't really change what they've been doing. They've been rushing the passer anyway. But, well, we, we should rarely see them downfield covering running backs and tight ends, right? Right. But, I mean, you you could do something every once in a while just as a change-up. Sure. Exactly. You know, and you call it, you know, zone drops and, and, and things where you're, you're bringing a linebacker and dropping a, a defensive end in the coverage. You can do that, and you might do that a few times a game. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're not going to be designated outside linebackers anymore. They're going to be designated defensive ends. But when you write up their job description, it's pretty much the exact same thing. Okay. Uh, Dented Fender wants uh, more clarification. Why are the will, which is the weak side uh, linebacker, uh, where the tight end is not, and the three-tech important, the three-tech is the defensive lineman who lines up on the outside shoulder of the center no, I showed with the guard. He's in the guard. That's what I meant. Tackle, guard tackle gap. Thank you. Thank you. And Tommy Harris was a three guy. Now this goes back Tony Dungy being in Tampa Bay, right? Okay. Your will linebacker was Derek Brooks. Mm-hmm. Your three technique was Warren Sapp. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. That's how that defense evolved with those guys. And and if you heard Coach. Eberflus, when he came in, he said Lovey was three most important guys are the three technique, the will linebacker, and a safety. Eberflus said 
three technique, will linebacker, nickel corner. Interesting. Okay, so he's got a little different view, but what's the common denominator? Three technique and a will linebacker. So, and and you got the will linebacker. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think you got the three technique. We didn't have, when Willoughby came here, we didn't have anybody. Mm-hmm. We, we had Philip Daniels at, at one end, left end, Ted Washington and Keith Trailer playing inside. None of those guys could play in the scheme. They weren't athletic enough. We got rid of all of them. Mm-hmm. And then we drafted Tommy Harris and Tank, who were both threes. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, we brought in Anthony Adams to play the nose. Right. And and problem solved. That, that, that was... Right. Uh... I mean, we got the guy, we got the athletic guys, and we had a hell of a defense. Mm-hmm. And then we brought in a Gunlier to be on the other side of um, Alex Brown, and then we drafted Anderson, and it was who we had three outside guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you had and one. We had Dusty Dvorak to be like a swing guy in the interior. Mm-hmm. And and the result was one of the most exciting Bears defenses uh, in uh, modern history. So uh, uh, great job there. Got a few more questions I want to address. But before we get there, actually, um, let's talk a little bit because we did not get a chance to talk about the uh, coaching staff. It's now, I think, 100% complete in terms of 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 uh, all the position, the empty positions that have been filled. This is the offensive coaching staff. Of course, we've got Luke Getze uh, as the coordinator, offensive line, Chris Morgan, assistant Austin King, quarterback uh, coach is Andrew Janako, Tyke Tolbert is the wide receivers and passing game coordinator, David Walker at running back. Uh, Jim Dre will work with the tight ends, assistant tight ends, Tim Zetz, offensive quality control coach is Omar Young. Anything about these names, uh, personalities that you want to comment on? Um, not really. For, I mean, for the most part, you've got some relationships. Uh, Janako and Betsy got a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan has experience in this scheme, having been the offensive line coach in Atlanta when Shanahan was there, you know, uh, Dan Quinn's original staff, he was the offensive line coach for five years mm-hmm. and they were running pretty much the same scheme. Even after Shanahan left, Ty Tolbert is one of the best receiving coaches, wide receiver coaches in the league. I think that was a weak point uh, for the bears the last few years. Uh, you've got to develop that position. Um, some of these other guys, you know, aren't the most experienced guys, but they've all come from very good, diverse backgrounds where they've, you know, you, you've got to have a, a, a mixture of, of some youth and experience, but also know-how. Mm-hmm. I think on paper, the staff looks pretty darn good on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know that Coach Everfluss is going to be involved. You know, he said he's going to be equally involved on both sides, but he was one of the better defensive coordinators in the league. So you, you know, you're not going to, he's not going to take away from that strength. Mm-hmm. He's going to be helping with the, with the defense. And when you think about it, this defense is the, except for the defensive line coach, mm-hmm. that's, that's the Colts defensive <laughs> staff from last year. I mean, look, Overstreet, um, 
Ronald Williams is the only holdover. Mm-hmm. Borgonzi was the linebacker coach. Uh, James Rowe was, was one of the defensive back coaches. Alan Williams was the other defensive back coach. Overstreet was the assistant defensive back coach. I mean, that, that's the only guy you're missing was the defensive line coach for the Colts, and he got fired at the end of the year. They didn't like the job he was doing. And they brought in this Travis Smith who was tutored by Marinelli out in uh, Oakland. So he he got a great endorsement from Marinelli is the word. Right? You know that happened. Mm-hmm. And then now uh, uh, to round things out, special teams coordinator Richard Hightower, then the strength and conditioning coaches are all the same. They're all whole holdovers is my right. understanding. So. Right, right. And and those guys, Jason um, came from, I think, Washington State originally okay. and had a very, very good reputation. Yeah. And has done a you know good job with the with the Bears so far. Hightower was here once before. He was on Fox's staff as the assistant mm-hmm. special teams guy. He's been in San Francisco the last five years. Uh, you know, again, I, I the exciting thing about the defense is that for the most part, the main coaches have all worked together. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've been together for the last four years, and and so that is going to be a plus when putting this scheme together, you know, starting with the off season program and starts, I think around the April, first week, of April. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Getze met with the media for the first time yesterday, the Chicago media. And he said a couple of interesting things. I, he didn't reveal much, at least in my opinion, but uh, he did amplify, you know, what is necessary in order to build a really good offense. And it starts with making evaluations and building relationships. This is part of what he said. Yeah. I mean, throughout my entire coaching journey, um, the importance of the relationship with your player has just been more evident. And um, the importance of it is so critical to the success of the football team. And, you know, you, you give one specific example with Matt and Aaron. Um, but to me, it's, it, it's even deeper. It's with everybody. So um, we will definitely, that'll be an important part of who we are as a coaching staff. Um, you know, as we're evaluating who's on, who's going to be on the offensive staff and who's not, I mean, the most critical aspect was to make sure we were getting the right person or type of people in this building uh, that we can develop those relationships and then have that spill over to our, to the players. And then if we can get the players and coaches to be in that harmony, we're going to have something special. You know, that warms my heart to hear that the relationship between coach and quarterback is not more important than the relationship between coach and tight end, offensive lineman, and so forth. For the last couple of head coaches that the Chicago Bears have had, Tressman and Matt Nagy, I always felt like there was that's two of the last three. I always felt like there was too much of an emphasis that the head coach had with the quarterback, and almost to the exclusion of everybody else on the team. And I got to believe, Greg, correct me, I know you will. Uh, if I'm wrong here, but I got to believe that players sometimes have just got to like roll their eyes when the coach is just gushing over the quarterback and how important the quarterback is. Oh, he touches the ball. So he's the most important. They spend all this time with the quarterback, 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 you know, and I, I got to believe that the ego of the other players on a team is like, well, what about me? You're asking me to bust my ass off and you, I get no love. What's going on? Well, you, you make a good point. And I, what I like about what Luke said is that there was a lot of wheeze in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And 
we's and us, not I. And, you know, so he, he wants to develop relationships. He wants, you know, if you go back to uh, Matt's original press conference, you know, he, 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 he wants teachers. Your position coaches, your, your coordinators got to be the X and O guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and your position coaches got to be teachers. Mm-hmm. And they got to be excellent teachers. And I think that's what they've done with the staff. They've gone out and, and gotten guys that can do exactly that. Obviously, it's, you know, we got to see it on the field once once practices start. But I think, you know, they're off to the right start. But, yeah, to get back to what you were saying, I, 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 I agree with you. But, you know, and, and I was, I've, I've listened to that interview and I read Adam Johns had a nice article in The Athletic about it. I don't know if you saw it. No. Um, but, you know, he didn't say, he never said exactly what he's going to run because he wants to get to know what each player can do. Mm-hmm. But what I took out of that is terminology-wise, Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be very similar to what was up in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. The terminology in the playbook, you know, the, the terminology can be the same. The playbook doesn't necessarily have to be the same because the playbook, you, you know, you, you, you write that up based on the strengths of your players. Mm-hmm. Now, will a lot of the plays be the same? you know, a carryover from what we see in Green Bay and what you see uh, with the Rams and in San Francisco because it's all that similar style offense. Yeah, of course it will. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to be an emphasis on the positive strengths of each individual player. I think the one thing, when you look at this it's team, you look at the strengths, well, what are the strengths? Well, we're not sure exactly what the quarterback is. We know he's talented, but he's got to take a step. Mm-hmm. Right now, the strongest point of the offense is the running backs. Yep. I think without question. Um, and there's going to be some fans that uh, don't agree with me here, but they can stick it. The tight end is pretty goddamn good. Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah, <I'm and> <laughs> he's... And, and you you put up some things, or somebody did, you know, comparing some numbers between him and some of the other guys mm-hmm. who come in the league. Um, he is never going to be that stretch the field, and we've talked about this before, that stretch the field, move tight end. That is not his game. Exactly. Okay. But he can be very valuable especially to the running game because he is a strong blocker and he can be that short to mid-range receiver that's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you've got to find you know, somebody else to be the move guy and they might already have him and uh, Jesper Horstead. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that guy is just like a guy waiting to bust out. I'm with you I, again. I, 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 hear, I just see a tremendous amount of talent is he strong enough to line up and block when he has to? I think that's about the only question. I know he can run. He can catch everything. 
Mm-hmm. He's a good route runner. Adjusts to the ball really well. You know, so he's got the traits. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't he used more? You know, that was a question. And I think, you know, the, obviously the offensive line, what's going to happen with the offensive line? We're going to have the answer to a lot of these questions in another month or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Jesper Horstead. I mean, every time he's the kid has gotten an opportunity, whether it's an actual regular season game or a preseason game, he he makes plays. And, yeah. you know, no offense towards Jimmy Graham. I, I wasn't upset with the Jimmy Graham hiring. I understood what they were trying to do in the first season that they brought him in, but I always just saw him as a one-season guy. And so when they extended him then to the following I don't him. He, he, he was he got an original two-year deal it was that's right but they could have dropped him and saved some cap dollars that they could have invested in other areas of need because i thought that the tight end room was deep with cole Komet, jesper horstad jp holtz and jesse james i thought that was well, part of it and, I, and i'm not arguing with you and, and this is one thing we don't know because mm-hmm. you're not you're not sitting in in hallis hall absolutely is the chemistry of each room and the chemistry of the locker room mm-hmm. and how valuable was Graham to the chemistry of the locker room. Mm-hmm. That That's a huge point because every time that guy was interviewed, he said the right things about uh, helping other players on the team. He kept his composure when he was being ignored by the offense. And, and, and so he seemed like he was a really good leader. And by the way, uh, Greg, I think that his blocking improved over the years. When he was at Seattle and and partly in, in New Orleans, and definitely in New Orleans, he never wanted to uh, block. He couldn't block a drunk hooker off a bar stool. <laughs> I saw him throw some good blocks now and then, but I'm not going to argue with you on that No, one. I mean, I, that's back in the day. And, and I agree with you. He got a little better, but he had to. He couldn't have got worse. That's right. He couldn't have got worse. I got to remember that one. <laughs> Blanco. That's, a, that's an old scouting thing. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, we're already over an hour. I want to get some more questions in here. We have so much to talk about. So I, I, I'm begging you to come back on with me next week. And I still owe you a, a plan for ourselves and I'm, that I'm still working on. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know. The check's in the mail. I'll respect <laughs> you in the morning. <laughs> Um, do, uh, Tony Moy has a good question here in terms of June 1st cuts. Clearly it's too early for any one of us to say, yeah, watch for this guy to get cut. Watch for that. Because there has to be first that free agency period is, is key among who is going to be then targeted for a June 1st cut. Am I right or wrong there? Um, yes and no. Okay. you know, because it, it, it's the money doesn't come off the books until June 1st. I mean, he, he can, you can cut him. say it's a post June 1st cut. Let's say you cut him. you know, the day after the, the league year starts, I think that's the 13th or 14th of March, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can cut him that day and designate it as a post June 1st cut. The money doesn't come off the books until June 1st, but he can sign a contract the next day with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the money still stays on the books until June 1st. You know, that's just a 
an odd way of, of doing the accounting, but that that's how they do it. So it's how much money you're going to have to spend now versus how much more money you're going to have to spend after June 1st and what's going to be available June 1st. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't know the answer to that. Now, sometimes you can, you know, you can make a deal with a guy and say, hey, yeah, we're going to make make a deal and just say we're not going to consummate the deal until June 2nd because we're not going to have the money to do it until June 2nd. Mm-hmm. And and then go from there. And, and um, you know, and that's happened before. Mm-hmm. Alfred Smith has a good question that I haven't thought about. Maybe you even answered this. Uh, did the Bears get any pick for hiring a black general manager? Because that's been no. talked about. Okay. No, Kansas City gets it. KC. Oh, because they lost Ryan Poles. But there has been talk about as an incentive for hiring black coaches and, and or general managers that teams could potentially get a draft pick, but that hasn't been uh, a, a right. And, and there's people in the coaching community that are against that because they think that's why they're getting hired. Yeah. I, 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 and that guy, I read an article about it today, in fact, and I, I get it. I, I, I get that. Now, too. what I don't know is does Philadelphia get a compensatory pick for Cunningham mm-hmm. moving over from director of player personnel to assistant GM here? And the buff or does the Bears get something for Champ Kelly going from assistant director of player personnel to assistant GM? I don't think they do. I think it's strictly the high end job. Mm-hmm but I'd have to talk to somebody in the league office who knows more than I do. Cause some of that stuff is all new within the last year, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, I'm not fully up to date on those rules, but I know Kansas city is going to get two compensatory third round picks. Now somebody said right after they got it, well, the bears got to give up two third round picks. The bears don't give up anything. Mm-hmm. Kansas city just picks up two picks at the bottom of the round. One this year, one next year. Gotcha. Uh, Victor De Jesus has a good question here. Can Thomas, uh, by the way, all these questions in the chat room are fantastic. But uh, Victor asks, can Thomas Graham be considered for the nickel position in the Eberflus defense? Does he have the traits to play nickel? That's a great question. Um, I, I think he's got the traits, but that's not for me to determine. And And they're going to... You know, once the off-season program starts, and and part of the off-season pro, the first part of the off-season program is is strictly conditioning and, and lifting, and then you get you know like a, an hour, hour and a half a day where you can do on-field teaching, but you can't go offense against defense. It's strictly you know offense on one end of the field, defense on the other, and you know you start to learn about people. So it it's when the staff learns what the strengths and weaknesses are of the player. Now there's a limited amount. He, you know, he played some at the end of the year. There's a limited amount of tape and they'll make a, you know, a semi 
good decision on that limited amount of tape. And they, and they can go back to college tape too mm-hmm. and, and say, okay, yeah, I think this guy can do so-and-so and, and go from there. But, you know, a lot of your determinations aren't going to be made until once you really get into the meat of, of OTAs and when you're doing one-on-ones and seven-on-sevens and things like that. Now, the nice thing about having a new coaching staff is you get an extra three days mm-hmm. because you get a second mini camp. Okay. Okay, so that, that's three extra practices. Doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, that's a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so... You know, it, it it can help in the evaluation process. It can help in the, in, in the developmental thing. What mm-hmm. I hate seeing, and I wanted to bring this up, is some of these yahoos out there with, with the, you know, thinking they know everything on Twitter who just make stuff up and throw it out there on Twitter, and they don't have the freaking slightest clue. Yeah, I got friends in Hallis Hall. Baloney, you're going to get nobody in Hallis Hall. <laughs> How about this? Nobody's in Hallis Hall, and there haven't been for two years. Because, <laughs> because the only people in there are the coaches. <laughs> All the people work from home. Uh, yeah, you actually want to invite a couple of these yahoos, as you call them, onto the show, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They won't come on because they know they're full of it. <laughs> yeah. Craig, I, I, I hate to reveal. I see, Neil's, I see Neil's uh, comment there. Yes, Neil, that's who I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I, I normally don't reveal what you text me, but I love this. You said, uh, this is what I'd like to talk about and blah, blah, blah. And then the Twitter insiders who are so full of shit. <laughs> And then I cracked. You know, I, you got some of the best insiders in, in the history of the game. You got two here in, 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 in Biggs and Pompeii, and then you got Rappaport and, and uh, Schefter and some of those other guys, Garofolo. And none of these guys come up with any of this stuff, but these insiders do. Mm-hmm. They, they know. Yeah. Yeah. Like Car- Carson Wentz was. He had a deal last year with the Bears. Mm-hmm. Sure, he did. <laughs> yeah, even a non-insider wasn't like, even thought about. Yeah, even a non-insider like me knew that that, that, that was so much bullshit. Jeez. Oh, Greg and Barry. But you know what's awful about this? People actually believe it. Yeah, I know. That is the Now, what was that last comment that was up there about the um, <laughs> that you A-Rob's agent? You embarrassed the guy by calling A-Rob's agent. That's exactly what I did. Because <laughs> Brandon Parker's a good friend. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and I said, Brandon, I'm going to tag you. Is that okay? And he says, sure. And then, you know, you did you see, he put a comment up. I missed that. Yeah. What did he say? He didn't. He just put the, the two eyes with the, the eyes looking oh, out gotcha. the side of <laughs> Oh, and so now Carson Wentz is moving on. And a lot of people have been critical of Chris Ballard for signing Carson Wentz. But I say 
no, I don't think you should criticize him. Ballard had a great uh, interview last season before acquiring Wentz where he talked about the challenges every general manager has in acquiring a franchise quarterback. And uh, he he talked at length and very openly about it. And I think that he made the best decision based on what was available and the fact that his coaching staff said, we think we can turn this guy into a good quarterback. Well, your head coach would work with him. Right. So there was that that whole thing. Right. And and so you, you're going on that. Now, I'm not so sure. And Chris hasn't told me anything. So mm-hmm. I'm just reading between the lines. And, and Peter, I don't know if you saw Peter King's thing. He wrote about it today. And he thinks something happened behind the scenes to cause a distrust. But he doesn't know the whole story. Okay. But I don't know if this is a done deal yet. Hmm. Interesting. In other words, we got another month when cooler heads may prevail. But they got to give him a bunch of money the middle of March. Mm Mm-hmm. So a decision is going to be made by then because they're not going to – if one thing Chris Ballard is, he's really tight with that that cap money. And he's not paying out that money unless he absolutely feels like it's going to be worthwhile. Hmm. Jeremy is reminding me of my dating life. He says uh, that uh, Ballard chose a quarterback based on how he picks women looking for cheap and available. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Oh, what a terrible thing to say. A terrible yeah, thing well, to say. He, should, he should see Chris's wife. <laughs> uh, Chris, that's a damn a, good-looking woman. A beautiful woman. Uh, all right. Uh, the Factor uh, wants to know if – what did Pep – did you get a chance to talk to Pep Hamilton about Justin Fields, and did Pep share anything with you about what Fields needs to work on? No. Um, I only talked to Pep a little after. Mm-hmm. I talked to him a lot before the interview. Before his, before his interview with the Bears? Yeah, and part of it is is because he didn't really know the personnel. And so he had me write up all the personnel for him on the offensive side of the ball. Because mm-hmm. you know a lot better than I do, mm-hmm. and which I did. I mean, it took me some time. And he felt really good about the interview. I think he knew right from the start that the other guy, and I'm, I'm speaking for him saying this, reading between the lines, but, you know, his offense isn't like the McVay-Shanahan offense. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's what Coach Flus wanted. So I think he, he thought he was going to be on the outside looking in. But the one thing, and this is now after the fact, because, you know, we did talk after. And he goes, I got a good thing going in Houston. And, I, you know, he, he said that in a perfect world, he wanted to stay in Houston okay. because his son is a aspiring quarterback, just finished his freshman year, uh, and he's pretty good. He's already got a four offers off after his freshman year in high school. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M, Maryland, Vanderbilt, and Howard and Howard's in there because Pep played at Howard. Oh, okay. But you know, he's got two SECs and a, and a big 10 team already offered him scholarships after his freshman year in high school. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so he's going to be loaded with with offers, you know, in another year. And he didn't want to take his kid out of high school and move him to another high school. He thought that was going to be doing a disservice to his kid mm-hmm. and his kid's career. So he said, you know, unless it's really the right situation, I'm not going to leave Houston. And I got a good thing going in Houston. So then Lovey gets hired. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking... You know, some of this was going on before anybody knew uh, what was really going on. Oh, interesting. You know, and because the day Lovey was named head coach last week, Pep was named offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, putting it all together, had some of that been going on behind the scenes the week previous without it ever getting out? Interesting how this all works, huh? You know, that that was, you know, conspiracy theory. <laughs> but you know, he nothing is sure until you sign a contract. Mm-hmm. But he felt damn sure he was still gonna be in Houston. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, he he got asked to interview for New York. I don't even know if he went up there. And I know he didn't go to Carolina. He flat out turned down the interview. Wow. Tony asks, was Pep interview for the offensive coordinator job or QB coach? Coordinator. Coordinator. He wasn't he wasn't leaving unless it was a coordinator job. Right. Exactly. Um Factor asks, uh, Greg, where are the Bears' biggest weakness in the O-line? Is it inside or outside or both? Well, I, I I'm not evading the question. I think you got some unknowns. Mm-hmm. You had two young guys with us boatload of talent mm-hmm. okay they need to play i borum surprised me how quickly borum, yeah. borum I, he's got a future yeah um he's easily athletic enough to play on the edge mm-hmm. and i you know we've talked about jenkins before i think you know those are your your two bookend tackles mm-hmm. in the future the weakness right now is you know, I like Mustafer, but I don't love him. I think you got to do that better. I think Daniels makes, if you move him to center, the center position improves. The one thing, you know, when you got to play against big nose tackles and stuff, I mean, this is what I look for. Mm-hmm. I want a big center, big girthy center. Big and you look, at, you look at Daniels, he's got a seat about this wide now. Yep. You know, he's got that big bubble. Where's an offensive lineman's power come from? It's mm-hmm. not the bench press. It's in his hips and his ass. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and, and he's got that. And those are, and he can stay low. And those are the guys that come off the ball and get movement from the big guys on the other side of the ball. <clears throat> and so I, I'd rather see him at center then you have a competition at guard. Now, whether it's somebody that's already here or you go out and you bring somebody in, that remains to be seen. But, you know, I, I, if you re-sign Daniels and those tack, and they, it's up to this coaching staff. They got to say, I think we can win with these two tackles. 
Um, the factor says we can watch a movie on James Daniels' ass, and he is absolutely right. I made the mistake. I went down to Bourbon A, uh, I think it was his rookie year, and I sat field level, and I found myself staring at James Daniels' ass for a good hour and a half. I was what are, you, what are you, an ass man? Or <laughs> People always say, hey, Aldo, you're an ass, man. <laughs> That's an old Robbie Dangerfield joke. Anyway, uh, boy, we've got so many questions, and, and, and Tony is saying, can we have Greg back next week so he can answer some of these questions so i'm gonna ask you what tony has asked can we come back thursday and do another show and tackle some of these more topics we want to talk a little bit this more. week yes uh i don't know yet uh maybe you uh, know what i'm doing and you ever heard of the uh the bears irish show or the irish Bears show yes that's those guys are great yeah well they they got a hold of me oh good i'm glad i'm I'm, I'm um going on there wednesday Excellent. Excellent. And I've got a I've got a meeting with my golf guys on you know breakfast with my golf guys because mm-hmm. we can't play in this weather. We'll we'll eat. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And uh, so that's Friday morning. Um, so maybe so maybe. maybe um, and not there's something about Thursday. That, that just pops into my head. I just can't think of it right now. Well, we'll but be- I, I, I'm going to say it's 50-50. We can do it. If not, I mean, you know, maybe when I get back Friday from um, from breakfast with my uh, with the old guys, because uh, that's at nine, so I'll be back by noon. Okay. Well, we could we could uh, let's talk about that, um, and uh, make sure you catch. Greg, uh, Wednesday on the Irish Bear Show. They're they're uh, great friends of the barroom. We're great friends of theirs, and so um, that should be an interesting half hour, hour, hour and a half. I don't, I don't know how long I don't know how long it's gonna be. I'll tell you, it's funny though. The guy says, you know, will you, will you come on? And I said, well, I got to tell you something. I said I had my DNA done. I grew up thinking I was half Irish. I'm really Scottish. Really? <laughs> yeah, 30, I'm 39% Scottish. I'm only 12% Irish. So he, he said, uh, I said, am I still good? Or, you know, <laughs> it was all laughing. He goes, well, one of the other guys is a Scott. So, and I said, well, hey, we're all drunkards. It doesn't really matter, you know. <laughs> You drink an Irish whiskey or scotch. <laughs> I remember when we were going to have JJ Stackovitz on with us, and uh, you replied back, "Yeah, I guess I can handle two liberals." <laughs> 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 Meeting me and JJ. Oh, that is great. Uh, a couple of just a couple of quick ones before we get out of here. I want and these again. There are a lot of great questions. I'm sorry we can't get to them all, but. Uh, Laz had one that I'm dying to hear your opinion on. What did you think of the halftime show with Snoop Dogg, Dre, and all the rest of the cast, Eminem? Uh, were you into it, or were you, okay, let me go use the washroom for 15 minutes? No, I, I, my, my wife really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I, I didn't dislike it. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a hip-hop guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like blues and classic rock. Yeah. So that's that's what I lean to musically. So, but did was was it enjoyable? Was it well done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think it could have been a little better. I, I thought the sound was the sound was average. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but all told, I, I mean, 
it, it was, they got like 12, 13 minutes to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was 20. I mean, it was, it seemed, it was a long production and there's a lot of work went into oh, that. So, yeah. you know, I, um, you know, like I say, it, it, it's not my preference musically, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, Hey, the, the crowd loved it. And, mm-hmm. and that's what matters. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what the, the, I haven't seen the ratings yet. I'm sure they're out already, but I haven't seen them. It's going to be interesting to see what the ratings were like for the entire game and the halftime show. You know, um, uh, we can talk about that more on our next show. Um, Anything else you want to share before we pull the plug on this edition? Of- well, I don't know, unless you got a couple more questions. We've only gone an hour and a half. Mm, you want to go two hours? No, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you don't pay me for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> an hour. Greg, what are your thoughts on Balan Nichols becoming the three I I think he can be pretty good as a, as a three. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, I know how athletic he was. He was used, you know, interesting guy, Bilal. He was used as a nose tackle last year at right. Delaware. And he go, what the hell are they doing? Okay. And he's a big, you know, two-gapper. And then you see him uh, when I think it was the East-West game. And then he got, he might have got brought up to the senior ball. And then he gets to camp. And he's an athletic guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that's what you gotta have. You gotta have somebody athletic. You know, Tommy Harris is is your consummate three technique. Mm-hmm. And Tommy wasn't that big. You know, Tommy played at about 285 mm-hmm. when he was here. He's probably six, two and a half, two eighty-five, long arms. You know, so that's why I say some of these guys, they may have them lose a few pounds to you know, play this scheme a, a, a little bit better. It's, you know, the weight doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's strength, quickness, explosiveness. Mm-hmm. Tony has an interesting question here. Do you think the best window to trade Quinn or Mac or even, uh, or even both for uh, draft capital? Uh, do you think this is the best window to make a trade like that and rebuild the, the way, own? the way their contracts are set up and they've been extended a few times or, or re not extended. They've been redone that you, you you get killed getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I go back to you, you know, the idea is to collect good football players, not get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And that guy's coming off, you know, Quinn's coming off the best year of his career. And who's to say he can't do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Don asked about Eberflus reaching out to older Bears, former Bears players, uh, and walking, welcoming them to uh, attend a Hallis Hall and, and, and basically, you know, uh, um, what's the word? Basically making friendships. Making them welcome. That's the way to put it. You're a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah, that's like that I is- really do. I like it. it, it it's a, um, you know, these guys, they, you know, sweated it out and and played their heart out for the Bears, and and they a lot of them live in Chicago, mm-hmm. and you know they want to be, feel good about it. I th- I'll be honest. I, I was it two years ago, yeah, two years ago. I 
when I went to training camp scouting for the XFL, you know, I spent a couple of days at the Bears camp. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Brian McCaskey and I said, you know, Brian, I said, I got one complaint. And Brian is a really good guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, well, you're in charge of alumni. And alumni gets locked into former players. What are we? Garbage? <laughs> you know, and, and he didn't disagree with me, but yeah. part of it part part of it has to do with, you know, with the it, it's a player's thing. Yeah. I, you know? I, I can see that, but man, guys like you and so many others who have been valuable uh to the Bears organization and have helped with the success of the franchise over the years, yeah, I, I don't understand why there isn't some special acknowledgement. For you guys, well, have to be. I mean, just include us as part of the alumni, but the alumni from the league point of view is yeah. former players. Yeah, that's too bad that that's the way that it is. But I'll tell you, you know, something <laughs> funny, we, and because we used to joke about it when I was working there, was that you know the people like Ted Phillips and the security people and the McCaskies—they're the full-time employees. Mm-hmm. We're all part-time. Is that right? Well, yeah, we're we're getting hired to get fired. <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that is, well, that well, the truth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is so so true. Ryan uh, Poles is a, is here now. How long is he going to be here? Mm-hmm. Okay, is he a five year part time employee? A ten year part time employee? Hey, we were lucky. We we lasted 10 years. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tony had a question a while back asking about Brian Allen, the Rams center. He's set to be a free agent. Do, do you Could you see Brian Allen being the next center of the Chicago Bears if uh, an agreement could be reached in free? He's a lo- isn't he a local guy? I believe he is. I believe. Uh, down uh, Hinsdale, I think he's from. Okay. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I think he might be from Hinsdale. Mm-hmm. Um. I prefer a bigger guy, but he, he plays in this scheme and he plays pretty good. But what's he going to cost? Yeah. And you've got to figure that into the equation. You know, it, this isn't this first off season isn't going to be about one guy. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be about, you know, you got to go out and hit some singles and doubles. And and you can't swing for the fences for the home run because you don't have yeah. There's no good. Devontae Adams isn't coming. Okay, Godwin from Tampa Bay isn't coming. Part of the reason why he's not coming is he's coming off an ACL. Mm-hmm. You know that Joker said that guy from Dallas is uh, you know oh, Bears are going to reach out. No, they aren't. He's coming off an ACL. He only had the ACL surgery about three weeks ago. <laughs> right. You know. It, <clears throat> why are you, why would you even attempt mm-hmm. when you got a team that has no wide receivers? Mm-hmm. You got basically two under contract. Yeah. Daz Newsom and, and Mooney. Why would you bring in a guy and have to pay him a lot of money and he can't play? Mm-hmm. And and he, if you're lucky, he plays the last month of the season. That's that's just ludicrous thinking. Yeah, I agree. And and what's going to make it things even tougher for the Chicago Bears to acquire a free agent wide receiver is the fact that the market for those guys, 
those mid-tier guys who are it's not actually in- shrinking because the other guys are hurt. Exactly. Exactly. And they're 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 gonna demand more money because I don't I don't know if that's gonna happen. Okay, uh, you know, but and, and these guys will get paid. They might not get paid what they thought. And and if you got space, mm-hmm. then you look at the investment thing. You know, somebody said to me, Well, Allen Robinson was coming off an ACL. Yeah, but Allen Robinson got hurt the first game of the year. Mm-hmm. So he got hurt the first week in September. Yeah. Okay, where big difference. These last two guys, Late they got hurt the last game of the year or the second last game of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that three or four month span is huge mm-hmm. when you're talking about having them being ready to play next year, especially coming off an injury like an ACL. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 in my opinion, it just that's a wasted investment for a team like it, that has the needs that the Chicago Bears have. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, handle a couple more here. So uh, Jeremy says, so what are we going to do at wide receiver? You know, the market being the way it is and the lack of draft capital this team has, and we only have one wide receiver <laughs> under contract. No, I, I think you're going to they're going to go after these mid-level free agents. Mm-hmm. We, um, we talked about it for Robinson with Kansas city, mm-hmm. uh, Lazard and green Bay. If he, you know, even if he got hit with a, 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 a third round tender, mm-hmm. would you theoretically trade your third round pick to get him? If gets, thought he, he could be a hell of a receiver yeah. in, in this offense. You know what? What are you going to get in the draft of the third round at receiver? Yeah. You, you might very well say, yep, I'm going to do that. You know, so, and, and Velda Scantling, he's a, he's a free agent. Mm. And so, you know, these guys aren't going to cost you 15, 16, $17 million. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get them for five, $6 million. Maybe not even that, especially mm-hmm. when you look at, at Lazard, he's got now Lazard. If, if if you don't want Green Bay to match, what I'd love to see is Green Bay gives them a uh, a right of first refusal tender because they don't have any money, and mm-hmm. then what that allows them to do is match whatever the the contract is, and then you write up a contract that they just can't match because of the way you structure it. Right, and and but we'll know that in a month. You know what what, what that that tender is. But I think those are the guys that you're looking at. You could be looking at um, a Juju Smith, but Juju Smith, uh, he, if Juju Smith Schuster, you know, he may he may cost a little bit of money. Yep. Um, but in, in my thinking, that that's those are the guys you're looking at, and and some of these guys have played secondary roles because of the people like. Devonte Adams at Green Bay, mm-hmm. you know, and and if you take that guy out of the equation, how much better is Lazard, or how much better is is Veldez Scantling? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, Ryan uh, has an interesting question about the nickel upgrade. Do you have anyone in mind that could be a, a nickel upgrade, given what Flus has mentioned about how important that position is in his defense? Not yet. I haven't studied the free agent market 
on that side of the ball, you know, to see what's there. Um, is there somebody that's already here? Yeah. You know, I, the more I look at it, I just think these guys weren't coached very well. Hmm. And, you know, there, there might be some upside with some of these guys that we just don't know. Kendall Vildor, for instance. Yeah. I don't want to give up on that guy. There's too, there's too much. Time. I saw his college tape now. Yeah. And I saw a lot of his college tape and, and, and the guy was pretty good. So, um, do you want to, you know, is he garbage? Mm-hmm. No. Well, first of all, you got to, you don't have anybody else. Mm-hmm. You, you, you got to, you know, you got to do this smart, but part of it is, is the coaching and, and the guys you got coaching these players mm-hmm. and, and try to get something out of them. But, you know, the Colts, they went out, they brought in a, a, a former first round pick to kind of bust. I can't think of his name now. Corner, Minnesota taking him high, mm-hmm. disappointed. He went to the Colts. He played pretty damn good football. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, and, and you don't pay an arm and a leg for these guys. Mm-hmm. You coach them. <clears throat> Jeremy is asking about the linebacker position. And do you think that Alec Ogletree, I'll add to that, do you think Alec Ogletree could be a fit in this defense? I know he is. He he is just, in your opinion, what's the best thing he does? Mm -hmm. It's coverage. He is great in coverage. And these guys, and and first of all, you got to be active in this defense. Okay. Brian Erlacher is the exception. There was never a Mike like a Brian Erlacher who played in the scheme before. Mm-hmm. That big and that athletic. Okay. So can't say we're going to get another Brian Erlacher because there's only one. And he's in Canton. But Ogletree, now, you know, he had about three years when he was down in the dumps. His, his career was going downhill. Started off his career gangbusters mm-hmm. with the Rams. But he really played well all year. In fact, he was one of the bright lights of the defense all season. And and knowing what he can do, I'm going to say I, he might not be under contract. I'm not even sure. Is he out of con- He might be out of contract. But I'm going to say he is. He is out of, yeah. The. Right now, he's the guy you'd have penciled in at Mike. Um, any trade, anyone on the team currently that you think could be traded for draft capital? Do you do you guys look at the board at around this time and say, "Man, I wish we had more draft capital"? Well, let's take a look at the roster and see. Uh, I, I'd have to. I'd have to answer that next time because I haven't given it a thought. First of all, you got to look at contracts. Right, because part of the equation for a trade is is the contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because I was looking at somebody like uh, Eddie Jackson, and I, I, first of all, I'm not sure any team would want Eddie Jackson, but then maybe there's a team out but there. But then, but it's what are you going to get? What what's your cap hit for getting rid of him? Yeah, and I'm looking. Okay, at- and now who who you got? They don't got any safeties to begin with, right? You know, so you you can't get rid of some of these people when you got nothing to replace them with. Right. 
Yeah, it, it's an exorbitant uh, cap hit, uh, $15 million. Uh, so that is <laughs> not, not happening. Not happening. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's people that they're going to have to live with and coach the hell out of. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's because of, of, of the contracts they, they currently have. And, and some of them were restructured to create cap space. And when you restructure it, I mean, sooner or later, you got to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. When, when you do, when you turn that um, current salary into bonus money, and then the bonus money gets uh, spread out as far as accounting purposes over the rest of the, the life of the contract. Now you, you, you go try to get rid of that guy and you got to pay the piper. You're going to get hit with that gap hit. So mm-hmm. you can't afford to get rid of some of those guys. Mm-hmm. If the Bears were to come back next season with projected starters, Jenkins at left tackle, at left guard, Cody White here, at center, James Daniels, at uh, right guard, somebody like Alex Bars, and at right tackle. Or it could be a, a veteran from somewhere or whatever. Could be somebody in draft. Right. So let's say uh, uh, four. They, they, they have four of the five starters necessary. And so they just need to plug in that right guard position. So let's say that's their plan. Would you then feel like perhaps drafting a wide receiver at number 39, would you place that as a high priority? Now, of course, your best player available, all that stuff. But, you know, given a tie, uh, would you would you draft a wide receiver at 39? Because I asked this because it's an interesting debate in the chat room about whether you should draft a receiver at that high. Well, first of all, I'm not even thinking about the draft. You think about free agency. First and foremost. Who are you going to – yes, because who are you going to – what happens in the draft is determined by what happens in free agency. Mm-hmm. They work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got two ways of acquiring players, free agency and, and, and you got street free agents, but free agency in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they work hand in hand. So like every mock draft you can see, roll them up in a ball, throw them in the, in, in the basket, because after the first week of free agency, all those mock drafts don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and because then you're going to find out what they're going to really do in the draft. Right. By what 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 they've done in free agency, mm-hmm. because now you know the needs change. So, you know they spend time, and, and you know Indy starts March first. There's always discussion with agents down there, mm-hmm. and, and you get a feel for what the market's going to be on some people. Uh, you could you know you're discussing trades and everything else, uh, and you're going to come out of that with a plan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then they're going to gonna have the certain people that they're going to go after and they're going to do it. You know, it, it could be a guy could be signed during the quote first wave, even though he gets second wave money, you know, or something like that. And again, it, it just, it depends. Some of these guys who are in free agency are going to get re-signed by their team. So who exact and some are going to get cut and the guys that get cut, um, you know, they're, they're not going to count against the formula for mm-hmm. compensatory picks. The only ones that count against compensatory 
guys are, are, are UFAs where street free agents don't count. Mm-hmm. You follow what you follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. Okay. So all that has to play come into play. Now, after we we get done, you know, let's say we get around the 25th of March, around in there, first to April, now we can start saying, okay, this is what you think they're gonna do in the draft. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll give you a great example. The year we we traded for Cutler, that was on like April 8th or 9th. That was two or three weeks before the draft. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, we had a whole big plan for the draft going, and then we make that trade, and it changed everything. Mm. So you were looking at quarterbacks? and uh, uh, No, we were, we were looking at uh, offensive linemen. To mm-hmm. Take. Mm-hmm. But then we didn't have picks because we gave them up for Cutler. Yeah, uh, that's of course, of course, indeed. Um, and I, I'm looking, I took a glance here at the free agent wide receiver list and, uh, man, oh man, <laughs> you, you, you're looking at guys like Keelan Cole, uh, Zach Pascal, uh, you know, Richard Higgins might be an interesting, uh, 27 year old Richard Higgins from Cincinnati. Yeah. Here, here are a couple of names. Would you be upset if the Bears re-signed Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird? Goodwin, no. Bird, yes. I'd want Bird back. Okay. You, you're going to get Bird cheap. Yeah. Marquise Goodwin, you know, he. what did he do? He can run, but he's 31, 32 years old. Mm-hmm. He's five foot eight. Um, no, I want that other little guy. We went to the Pro Bowl. I keep forgetting. Grant. His name. Yes. Yeah. He's uh, he's uh, he's a free agent. He's right. a free agent. And okay, I, I I bring him back. I mean, number one, he's at a and and uh, that's another part. What what what's the status of Tariq Cohen? Mm-hmm. Because that now that if, if if they determine that he just isn't coming back. Mm-hmm. That could be a guy that you see get cut. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the chat room says, "What the hell did uh, Bird do this season? He didn't do much, but he can do more." Is is I'm not. I'm sure uh, Bird. Okay, here's what he did. He's not a one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. He's a four or five who can play special teams, mm-hmm. and he's a reliable four or five. Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell do you think you're going to fill your roster with? Those are the types of guys that that your 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 backup receivers, your fours, your five, your six, they got to be able to play special teams, mm-hmm. and he can do it. Yeah, and you're he's not going to cost you anything. Yep. All right, I am going to pull the plug on this episode of Greg Gabriel Talks Football, and I'm going to let people know that we're going to talk more football later tonight. It is Draft on Tap with Neil Stopchinski and Danny Shimon. And as Neil said here, we're going to talk about coaching hires, the Super Bowl, Senior and Shrine Bowl games, all the bowl games, and uh, and get this season of Draft on Tap underway with the second episode uh, the first one was kind of our preliminary episode, and the guys will start doing some player evaluations and so forth. Uh, you can find Greg Gabriel this Wednesday on the Irish Bears show, and we're going to try to have him back again later this week. So uh, uh, 
We've got tons of uh, football shows going on this week and throughout the off season. Greg, any final words for your fans? You've got so many of them. We got record numbers of people coming into uh, into the chat room and watching us live. So uh, this show is growing by leaps and bounds. I gotta, I gotta hire Tom Cruise then. Show me the money. <laughs> exactly. Show him the money. <laughs> we we're working on a contract here for Greg Gabriel to sign him for a ten year deal. At a hundred thousand dollars, would you be happy with a hundred thousand dollars a year? Yeah, <laughs> so would I. <laughs> um, any final words, uh, Greg? No, just, I, I, I need a nap. <laughs> yeah, I need a nap too. I, I got like five hours sleep. I need a nap. I know, and you hit the gym, and uh, I got five hours of sleep, and I hit the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That is going to do it for this episode of Greg Grayville Talks Football. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel here. That way you get all the alerts as to when we are next up with a live show. But again, uh, tonight at 8 p.m., it's Draft on Tap with Neil and Danny and me. Uh, Thanks all very much for watching, and thank you, Greg. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye. Damn right it is.